I want to talk to you about missions for just a minute, and then we'll go to the message. You might be wondering why we would send missionaries to start churches in Christian countries. So New Zealand would call itself a Christian nation. As he mentioned, only about 2% of the church or of the nation attends church. They don't go to church. And um, it is, you know, the national church is the, the Anglican church, the Church of England. And so what happens is many of the young people go to schools that have an influence from the Church of England. But what that does is it kind of inoculates them against the gospel. They think that because they have some religious knowledge, that because they have some biblical knowledge, that they're okay with God. The other thing that happens is um, he mentioned in the Sunday school hour that there are 22 or 23 independent Baptist churches in the entire nation. And so we do like to see independent Baptist churches established. Why is that? Why is it important to start independent Baptist churches in what are nominally Christian nations? It's because of the gospel. Now, the gospel is the preaching of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. And that the only way that any person can ever have peace with God and go to heaven is by placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. That's the gospel. The problem is, in many of the denominational churches, so the mainline Protestant denominations, what happens is people bring their babies to church and have their, their babies sprinkled, and that makes them a member of the church, and in some cases it makes them a child of promise or a child of God. And it, that's their belief. And so as long what they believe is that salvation is in the church, and as long as you're a member of the church, you get to go to heaven. The only problem is the Bible never says anywhere in the Scriptures that a church takes you to heaven. Right. I was with Dalton Robertson preaching in Texas one time, and he said there are more Baptists in Texas than will be in heaven. Why? Because being a Baptist never took anybody to heaven. Being saved, placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, that's the only way anyone gets to go to heaven. And that's why the nature and structure of the local church is so important because everything that we do teaches. So here at Grace Baptist, the priority of Grace Baptist Church is the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Whether it's in the Sunday school hour, in this hour, in the evening service, the Wednesday night Bible study, the Sunday school classes, our Awana ministry, our discipleship ministry, it's all focused on preaching and teaching the Word of God. And of course, the first component of that is leading people to Christ. You can't grow in Christ until you're in Christ. And the only way you can get in Christ is by placing your faith and trust alone in Jesus Christ, placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. Amen? Now, if you have a church that teaches that you're a part of the church through baptism, um, I, I was teaching on Reformed theology up in Toledo this week, and I quoted R.C. Sproul who says that uh, children can be saved in their mother's womb. They can be saved in the baptismal font. They could, and it's just all nonsense. The only way that you can be saved is by a personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. Recognizing your sin debt. Recognizing that all of us deserve to go to hell because we're sinners. The Bible says, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So what we need are churches that preach the whole counsel of God in its context. 
And then they baptize those people according to the scriptural method, which requires the proper candidate, that is a saved person, the proper mode, that's immersion, complete immersion in water, and then the proper administration, a rightly structured and organized New Testament church. All of that, I don't have time to teach all of that this morning, but all of that is completely biblical, not only just in implication, but in the direct statements and practice of the Bible, of Scripture. All of that is it's explicitly scriptural. Churches that function in other ways, they are not. Now, I'm, I thank the Lord for anyone who gets saved through any denomination. We're not the only ones. Baptists are not the only people that are going to be in heaven. I'm thankful for anyone who gets saved through an Anglican church that preaches the gospel, and there are some. I'm thankful for anyone who gets saved through any denominational church where they preach the gospel. The problem is the next generations. You see, baptizing a baby does not save that baby. And so what happens is those people are inoculated against the gospel. And so it is so important that we have rightly structured, rightly ordered, doctrinally correct, rightly functioning New Testament churches that are being started in Christian nations so that people who are nominally Christians can become actual Christians by placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. Remembering, baptism has never saved anyone. Isn't that right? And that is such a confusing thing for people. So when you hear that you have a missionary who's going to plant a church in a nominally Christian nation, understand that's where they're needed the most because people think they're okay. They think they're okay. And so it's really important that we do this. I'm glad that the Hutchins are here. And if you have any questions for them, they'll be uh, back at their table. Open your Bibles with me to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And why don't we go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you desperately. And Lord, sometimes we don't realize just how helpless we are. And so I'm thankful that we get to look at this subject this morning. Lord, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are in trouble all over the South right now. Father, I pray that you'll protect them, that you'll help them, that they can be a light to others during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know somebody that was either in Texas or is in Florida in the path of all of this? And I don't know about you, but I get worried about people and different things that are going on. And we are, um, someone has said we have ocean bias here because here in Ohio, especially in this part of Ohio, an ice storm is about the only thing that we're ever going to have to worry about. Um, tornadoes don't come through here. Hurricanes don't come through here. We're safe. Now, if you go to Xenia, you're in trouble, right? You don't want to go there. But here in this area, we're, we're safe. Isn't that a blessing? And yet we still try and prepare. Generators or whatever, you want to make sure that you have food on hand. All of those things. The prudent man seeth trouble afar off and hideth himself from it, as I said earlier. And we try to do that. But what do you do when now you're in a situation where you've done everything that you know is right and yet it seems like there's no hope? That's what the, the nation of Judah, the people of Judah, were dealing with in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And I think at a time like this where we have friends and loved ones who are in harm's way right now because of the storms, I think it's good for us to look at this text. And what's fun is, you know that there's nothing new under the sun? Did you know that? There's no new truth. Preachers have gone to this text for centuries to deal with situations just like what our nation is dealing with right now. 
And I thought it would be a really good time to go to this. And look with me in Second Chronicles chapter 20, look at verse 1. And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, along with other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I'll tell you what, I think that if, if national leaders, when something horrible was coming, would set their face to seek the Lord, wouldn't that be something wonderful to hear? And that's what Jehoshaphat did. And look at what it says in verse uh, 4. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the government. What's it say? The Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court. Drop with me down to verse 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? Look at what it says. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Now, what had happened was you had these nations, the Ammonites and the Moabites, and they were coming against Israel. Now, remember Israel, when, when God had sent the nation of Israel into uh, the, the land, He had them run all of these evil nations out, but they allowed some of them to stay. And here in the text, they even identify, we, we were good to these people, and now they're coming against us. And they don't know what to do because they're surrounded by armies that are greater than them, and, and physically, there's no possible way that they can win. Right now, we have people who... The, you, how do you fight against a, a hurricane? You can't. You can't. What are you going to do? All that you can do in this time is look to the Lord and trust the Lord. Now, we are not facing that right now, but you might be facing something else. There could be cancer in your life. You could have a child that's away from the Lord. You could have a situation in your home, in your marriage, in your work life, in your spiritual life that you're looking and you're saying, God, I don't have any idea what to do right now. I don't have any idea what to do. So my message this morning is what to do when you don't know what to do. You know that one of my famous or one of my favorite preachers is Alexander McLaren. And about this text, he said this about Jehoshaphat. His first act was to muster the nation not as a military levy, but as supplicants to seek help of the Lord. We know not what to do, but our eyes are upon Thee. Blessed is the desperation which catches at God's hand. Firm is the trust which leaps from despair. This is such a great statement. The helplessness is always a fact, though most of us manage to get along for the most part without discovering it. The simple fact is that we are all helpless without the Lord. And yet we can go through our lives as self-made men. We order our lives in such a way that our finances are cared for, our health is cared for, our homes are cared for, and we do everything right. But what happens in those times when everything that you're doing right, you realize that it's not enough? It's not enough. That's where they were. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? I want you to see what Jehoshaphat did and the people of God did in this text. The first thing they did was they acknowledged who God is. Look at verse 6. 
So this is what Jehoshaphat stood, verse 5, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. All right, so they come before the temple, the house of God. Verse 6, And said, O Lord God, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Thou and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen. And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gave it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? Do you know what you need to do when you're in trouble? Just like Jehoshaphat did. Acknowledge who God is. And in this text, we learn some things about God. The first thing that we see, look at verse 6 again, and said, O Lord God of our fathers. He's the God of history. He's the God of history. You, you ran out our enemies before. You've done all of these things in the past. So let me ask you all a question right now. Has God helped you through something in the past? Has He helped you? I know that in my life, I've, I've only had a couple of things that were ever really hard or bad. Um, how many of you could say you've never really gone through anything terrible? Would you raise your hands? You can just say, I've just not really had anything horrible. You all know the one that I will reference. It's when our son died, four and a half months old. And I wasn't prepared because I had had a great life. I, I wasn't emotionally or however you can say it prepared for that. But you know what I can tell you when I would just bury my face in the pillow and all I could say is, Oh God, oh God, can I promise you something? He was there. He helped us through that. He helped us through that. And I truly believe that Laura and I, our relationship grew through that. It, it, and the only way that that could have happened was because of God, because, man, I'm an idiot. You know, I would say the wrong thing. I would do the wrong thing. I would behave in the wrong way because I, I'm just a, a, a weak, frail man, just like all of us. And in that horrible situation that I'd never been prepared for, God gave us wisdom. God gave us strength. He gave us help through that. So now if I ever went through anything like that again, I could look back and say, God, you've been good. God, you've helped us in the past. And here the nation of Israel and Judah specifically, they're being surrounded, they're being attacked. And you know what they can say? God, you've helped us before. You've won these battles for us before. Sometimes it's hard to remember that, isn't it? Not only is He the God of history, but He's also the God of heaven. Look at what it says in verse 6 again. It says, And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? You know what that means? It means He rules a kingdom that is so far above and beyond anything that we have to worry about. He looks down and He sees exactly what's going on. I was confronted this week with several people who um, don't believe that God knows everything. I see you all giggling. It's the silliest thing in the world. I remember um, I'd gotten home from oh, a meeting in California, and this guy had given me a book. and in, It was a book on leadership, and it's talking about how when you're in leadership, you need to rest. You need to make sure that you get proper rest. Now, that makes sense. How many of you agree with that statement right there? But the example he uses is um, even God needed rest. After six days of creation, he needed to rest. So I'm reading that. Jacob was about six. He was walking upstairs in the house. And I said, hey, Jacob, does God get tired? He went, no. 
<laughs> a six-year-old knows this, right? God is all-powerful, but he is also all-knowing. And so this lady, she said, well, what about all these times when God asks questions in the Bible? And I said, God never asks questions to gain information. Where art thou, Adam? You know, I told you, Jacob hiding. You know, we're, we're, he had, we had curtains in the house that came down to about here on Jacob. And we're playing hide-and-seek, and he went and hid behind the curtains. <laughs> okay, he was only like three, all right? So if he was 16, it would really be funny. <laughs> but so he's hiding, and he says, come and find me. We walk into the room, and I'm thinking, my son's an idiot. He's there, he's just... <laughs> but that's, that's the same way that we are. We think that we can hide from God... We can't hide from God. That idea of God asking questions, where art thou Adam? Do you think he didn't know where Adam was hiding? So what we did, we walked into the room with Jacob. Where's Jacob? Where's Jacob? That's God. Where art thou, Adam? And this idea that God doesn't know, and it, it, just so you know, it really is a theological controversy right now. It's called open theology. And because the Calvinists push so hard that God orders everything that will ever happen, you know, the Calvinist that fell down the stairs and said, thank God that's over with, because God had ordained that he would fall down the stairs at that moment. Just silliness like that. So people react to that, and they say, well, God knows all of the different possibilities of the decisions you could make, but he doesn't know which one that will be. That is so stupid. It's just completely ignorant. How many of you know that God knows everything? And that means He also knows the possibilities. You see, does it, do you see the possibilities? Does that, do you see how that's included in everything? Right? And so what happens is we get into trouble like this and we say, God, where art thou? Does God know what I'm going through? Where are you, God? Well, He's the God of heaven. He knows exactly where you are. He knew where you would be before He ever made you. He knows every situation that you'll ever go through. And He's loving and kind and powerful. And He will intervene for you. But we have to remember who He is. He's the God of history. He's the God of heaven. Not only that, but look, He's the God of the heathen. In this situation, you have these, these armies that are coming against Him. Look at the middle of verse uh, six, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? So God is completely in charge. So right now we have North Korea going crazy. And, you know, sometimes because of the way, you know, you have 24-hour news organizations and they have, something, have to have something to talk about for 24 hours a day. And notice we're not hearing about North Korea right now. But North Korea is still trying to build a nuclear weapon so that they can shoot it at us. That's what they want to do, right? Here's the good news. This is the good news. God knows that. He knows that. He is the God of the heathen. And there's no one more heathen than Kim Jong-un. Right? That guy's nuts. And so we have this, all this stuff that's going on in the world. We need to understand that our God is greater than all of that. Our God is greater than all of it. He's the God of history, and He's the God of heaven. And not only that, is he is, He's the God of the heathen. But look at what else it says in verse 6, middle of the verse. And in thine hand is there not power and might 
so that none is able to withstand thee. That's how powerful God is. He's more powerful than anything else. He is all powerful. That's omnipotent. He is all, that is the God that we worship. Isn't it good to be reminded of that when you're in trouble? Have you ever gone to someone and they say, I can't help you? What, what do you want from me? I can't help you. You ever experienced that? It's awful. You know that God will never say that to you? He knows where you are and He is willing and able to meet your need and to care for it. That's the God that we worship. So the first thing we need to do is acknowledge who God is. Then we need to acknowledge who we are. Look at verse 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. The first thing that we need to recognize is that we're unworthy. See, this is one of the big problems. God is all-powerful, isn't He? And He is able to do anything. The problem comes when we demand from God what we want, not ask Him what He wants. See, we need to recognize that we're unworthy. Have you ever known someone who thought the world owed them something? Right? And the entitled people. It's just hilarious. You see some teenager, Dad, I need a new phone. And Laura would say, I went 37 years without a phone. You're going to go 37 more. <laughs> right? Have you ever seen some uh, uh, young kids, have you ever seen somebody who talked to their parents that way? That is unbelievable. And I'm just telling you, if my children ever came to me in that kind of an attitude, heaven and earth will pass away, but they'll never get that thing. <laughs> Amen? That's, and when we approach God that way, it is so insulting to Him. We need to recognize that we are unworthy. The only thing we deserve is eternal punishment from God. We are unworthy, and yet He loves us in such a way that He wants to help us. The thing that we need to recognize is we're unworthy and we are completely helpless apart from Him. For we have no might. I remember one time I was working out. I was so skinny when I was in high school. When I graduated from high school, I think I weighed 140 pounds or something. I don't know. I've obviously overcome that. I have won the battle against anorexia. I have, you can tell. But I, uh, I was working out and I had... A bunch of weight on the bar, which for me was probably not very much. But I, I, for me, it was a lot. And I don't know, have you ever worked yourself out to exhaustion? Any of you ever worked out with weights and you get to where you can't do anymore? Well, you're supposed to have a spotter, right? I didn't. I was at home alone. And so I had this weight, and it's just on my chest, and I couldn't get it off. I think it was 185 pounds or something. I couldn't get it off. It's just on me. And you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to flip it. Have you ever seen people do that? You're supposed to flip it off. I was afraid to do that because I thought it would bounce back on my face and I don't want to mar this beauty, <laughs> right? And so I rolled it down me. I had stripes, black and blue stripes, all running down me. And I told my dad what had happened. And dad just came and picked it up and went over like this. And I said, I hate you sometimes. I really didn't hate him, but it was frustrating. And what happened was I realized my limit because I, I, there was no way I could lift it. I could not lift it. 
Well, on something like that, that's silly. There's no permanent damage. But what about when life comes along and you face something that you, you just cannot handle? You know, there's lots of pop songs about it's going to make you stronger. Or you, can, you, know, you can power through. You can make it. What about the times when you can't? What are you going to do? That feeling of helplessness, it would be so much better if we would acknowledge that helplessness before God, before we're in the state where we really are helpless. Because then we know who to turn to. We know how to trust Him. We need to acknowledge who God is. Then we need to acknowledge who we are. We are completely helpless. So, first of all, acknowledge who He is. Secondly, acknowledge who we are. And then third, just keep your eyes on Him. Look at what it says in verse 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. See, that's so good. Remember last Sunday morning I preached on look up. Look up. And remember that David got to a place where he couldn't look up and he just relied on the mercy and help of God. But where we are supposed to begin is by looking to Him, looking unto Jesus, the Bible says, the author and finisher of our faith. The author and finisher of our faith. Aren't you glad that you don't have to keep your salvation? I'm glad that Jesus Christ keeps my salvation for me. He's the author of it. I can't be saved apart from Him. And He's the finisher of it. He keeps it for me. I don't have to keep it. There's nothing more arrogant than the person that thinks that they can be good enough to keep their salvation. Right? So what's the bar? What's the bar of sin that would require you to lose your salvation? How good would you have to be to keep it? You see, what we need to recognize is we couldn't keep our own salvation for 10 minutes. That's why we need Him to keep it. And He is the author and finisher of our faith. So we as believers, when we get into this situation where we don't know what to do, we need to recognize that we need to look to Jesus Christ. Look to Him. Are you in a situation right now where you've been looking at your problem, you've been looking at the enemy, you've been looking at the struggle, and you need to look to Jesus? You need to lift your eyes to Him Our eyes are upon thee. Don't look at your troubles. Don't look at your neighbors. Look at Jesus. Not only keep your eyes on Him, but the next thing is go to the house of God. Look at verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Look at verse 8. And they dwelt therein. So this is talking about God had run the, the enemies out of the land and planted His people there. And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name. So they went to the house of God, the people of God, went to the house of God. Why? Do you know what happens with us? We get into trouble. We get into a struggle. We get into a place where we don't know what to do. And we say this, I can't go to church today. I can't go to church today. God's people are here. God's people are here. There is someone who will have gone through what you're going through or something similar who can help you. There are people here that will come alongside you. One of the most frustrating things for me is someone to say, hey, did you hear so-and-so had surgery? No. How can I pray for you if I don't know you're going through it? Well, I don't want to bother you. Okay, let me, let me tell you something. I'm a pastor, and pastors pastor people. 
And when people become a bother for a pastor, he needs to go sell cars or something. You're not a bother. I love you. We as a church love you. When you're in trouble, come to God's people. We're here for you. We'll help you. Now, what's funny is sometimes people say, well, I don't need that kind of help. Have you ever had somebody say that? You know, somebody's in trouble with a relationship, they're in trouble with whatever, and you tell them what the Bible says. Well, that just doesn't work for me. Well, you're about to really face some really bad stuff then. Because when the truth, when you won't accept the truth, the only other thing you can accept is error. And that error will destroy you and the people around you. Folks, we as a church, when someone's going through trouble, we need to come alongside them. We need to put our arms around them. When the people of God are in trouble, God's people need to be there. But listen, if you're going to go it on your own and you're going to unplug from everybody and everything, then what you're doing is you're saying, God, I don't want your help. I don't need your help because God has established the church for this reason. Let me say something. James Knox said this to me. I was talking to him earlier this week. And he said for the first time ever, he actually agreed with Joel Osteen about the church building. It's very interesting. How come nobody has said, why doesn't the Sears store open for everybody? Why doesn't Exxon open for everybody so they can go and camp in the Exxon building? Why does it have to be the church building? Isn't that an interesting thought? Now, should the churches be helping people? Yes. But you have people that would never give a dime to the church that then say that it's the church's responsibility to let them come in and trash their facility. It's interesting. It gets real quiet when I talk like this because we've all been hammered with socialism for so long and the social gospel. Now, if there was a, a horrible thing that happened, we would open up the church for anybody that could come, wouldn't we? We'd, we'd open it up. But to act like we have to, whatever happened to private property? Again, did the Sears store open for everybody? No. And that isn't, how many think that's interesting? Just an interesting thought on that. Okay, so back to the actually encouraging part of the sermon. Um, when you're in trouble, come here. Come to church. Come be with God's people. God's people here. Not only is God's people here, but God's presence is here. Look what it says in verse 9. It, so this is, they've come to the sanctuary saying at the end of verse 8, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then wilt thou hear and help. The people of God are here. Not only are the people of God, the presence of God is here. You say, Pastor, wait a minute. This is the temple. Yes, but remember what, what Paul said. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. This is now the house of God. We are the house of God. The, the Spirit of God, if you're saved, dwells in you. And then He's told us to come together as a group to worship Him and to support each other and help each other and love each other and reach the world and show the world that we're different. That's what the church is supposed to be. Go to the house of God. The people of God are there. The presence of God is there. I love it. The I am is there. But not only that, the power of God 
is there. The power of God. Look at what it says in verse 9 again. If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in the house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then wilt thou hear and help. Do you know the power of God is real? We serve an amazingly powerful God. And there's something about God, there's something about His plan to where when God's people come together, He moves through those people. In other words, we're more strong together than we are alone. God's power is more real when we're together than when we are alone. Now look, if God does something and you're by yourself, God's power is still real for you. Amen? But there's something special about God's people coming together in a specific place for a specific purpose, and the presence and power of God is real in that place. Then, this is so important. How many of you are parents here? Your parents. Your children need to see what you do when you're in trouble. Your children need to see what you do. Look at verse 13. In, and all Judah stood before the Lord, see what it says, with their little ones their wives, and their children. It's interesting that when you get in trouble, if you stop coming to church, your children, what they learn is, hey, when there's trouble, stop going to church. That's what you're teaching them. That's what you're teaching them. What these people understood is we're in trouble. We need God's help. And they wanted their children to see the power of God. I want your children to see the power of God. We serve a great God. Bring your children. Make sure that they see What's going on? We need to train our children to deal with adversity in the proper way. And we need to demonstrate to our children what we say is really what we believe. There's trouble. I'm going to go to the Lord. And then, this, is, this might sound self-serving, but it is so true. When you're in trouble, listen to God's man. God's given you a pastor. God's given you religious leaders for a reason. Listen to your discipler. Listen to the people that God has brought into your life. Here specifically... It's the man of God. Look at what happens in verse 14. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeliel, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Listen to God's man. I like it. He said, Thus saith the Lord. Can I tell you something? That's why I'm here. Remember, I've told you, if God takes me out of here, I want to be remembered for just two things. Number one, that I've taught you how to take off the world's glasses and put on biblical glasses and to see everything through the lens of Scripture. And then secondly, to see your children serving God in the next generation. See, if you guys don't serve the Lord, if we, don't, if we don't demonstrate the reality of Christianity in such a way that you know that it's real, then this is just a waste of time. If our kids don't serve God, we are wasting our time. Amen? So what my job is, is when you come, I don't want to say, this is my opinion, this is my opinion, and I am not above giving my opinions. I think you guys know that. But far more important than any opinion I have, because when I stand up here and say, when you get in trouble, go to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Look at what God's people did. Thus saith the Lord. And that's what God's man did in this setting. He stood up and said, thus 
saith the Lord. He said to the king, listen to me. People, listen to me. I have a word from God. And that's what the preacher does. Every time he stands up before God's people, listen to me. I have a word from God. You might not need this yet. You might not need it yet. But you know what God does? God sometimes fills up your basket for when you need it. And there'll come a time when you have trouble and you need it. So listen to to, to God's man. He has the thus saith the Lord. And honestly, the preacher may have seen your situation before. Can I tell you something? There's a reason why preachers hate sin. Because we see what it does in the lives of people. And then we help clean up the mess. So we stand up and say, don't do this. It will lead to this. Or you come in and you've got some struggles. It's amazing how God's people come together. I, I think of Ed and Rania Bermond. They come to our church. And then the Schmidtmeyers come to our church. And we're able to put the Bermonds with the Schmidtmeyers for discipleship. And they're dealing with some of the same issues in their family. And the Bermonds had walked through it ahead of time. And they're able to walk through it with the Schmidtmeyers. And now, can I ask you a question? How many of you think I was smart enough to do that? God did that. God brings godly people into your life who have gone through what you're going through so they can guide you in the right way. God's people. It is amazing what God, what God does through His people and through His church. Then, the other thing that the man of God or a godly leader will do in your life is give you what God has said. He'll give you a scriptural solution to the problem. Look at verse 20. And they rose early in the morning, and they went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Jerusalem, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Look at what it says. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe His prophets, so shall ye prosper. Do you know what we need to say to people when they're in trouble? Believe God and believe His Word. Believe God and believe His Word. I hope that's what I do for you over and over again. Believe God, believe His Word. It's real. It's true. Sometimes it's an academic thing and it's good to learn and grow. And I really enjoy learning and growing. I love that. It's one of my favorite things to do. You know what's better than that? When you find out it's real. When you find out what I learned is right, what I learned is true. God's Word was right for this situation. Then, here's the hardest part. When you don't know what to do, it's really hard to just trust God and leave it in His hands. It is so difficult. Look with me at verse 17. So this is the message from the prophet. He said, Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. So you start by just waiting on the Lord. And then you go and do what you're supposed to do. You go and do what you know you are supposed to do. The hardest thing is to take your hands off it. This is from McLaren. I love this statement. Listen to what he said. The first great blessing of trust in God is that we may be at peace on the eve of battle. And the second is that in every battle, it is in truth, not we that fight, but God who fights for and in us. You know, you never fight alone. If you're fighting for the truth, if you're fighting for what God has for you, you never fight alone. God is with you. 
I love the passage in Exodus 14, 14. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. How many of you struggle to hold your peace? Yeah. Anybody think that might be my problem? Man, I am the ready-shoot-aim guy if there ever was one. Just, if somebody wants to fight, I'm there. Which is really dumb because they'd probably get beat up really bad. But that's, I, I want to go in and fight. I, if, if there's trouble, let's go take care of it. If there's a need, let's jump in and do it. Boom, let's take a human solution. I, I know what to do. I've got the human solution. I've seen this before. I can do this. Uh, where's God in that? See, there are so many times when we need to just let God, just slow down and let God fight our battles for us. It is so important that we see that. Can I ask you a question? Did you know that God wants to fight for you? Did you know that? He wants to fight for you. I got to tell you, you'll never lose with God on your side. When you fight alone, you'll lose. You fight for the right with God on your side, you will not lose. Now, the solution or the outcome might not be what you had chosen. But if God is with you, you will not lose. Then don't just sit down. Keep going and do what you're supposed to do. Look at what it says at the, at the uh, end of verse 17. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. They still had to go. Can you imagine what that felt like? Okay, God. It's like 20 to 1. You want me to go? I'm, I'm going. I'm going. Now, how many of you would be a little nervous at that? Look what they did, though. This is so cool. Sing and praise God for what He's going to do. Look at verse 22. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, I'm sorry, and when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. So they went out scared to death, but what they did was they trusted the Lord. Is it hard to sing in the dark? Is it hard to sing when you're in trouble and to praise the Lord? You see, when you understand who He really is, the best thing to do is, you're in that hard time, Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. And start praising the Lord. You're at the end of your ability. You're at the end of your talent. You're at the end of your wits. And you look to God and you praise Him. And you say, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. We are most likely to conquer if we lift up the voice of thanks for victory in advance and go into the battle expecting to triumph because we trust in God. I believe in Him. Having that attitude when you go into your struggle, it changes everything. I believe God. Then, take possession of the promised blessing. That's what they did. They took possession of it. Look at verse 26. Verse 25, and when Jehoshaphat... Oh, well, actually, let's see what happened. Look at verse uh, 23. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. They all killed each other. Their enemies all killed each other. There's a great story of the Waldensians. Waldensians were Baptists who were 
running from the Catholic Church in the, the 1200s, 1300s. And this army had come against the Waldensians and they had fled to the mountains. And there was this man, he was a black knight and he was leading this group and they were chasing the Waldensians up the mountains. And this boy, he said, uh, he said to the men, I'm going to fight. And he took aim and shot his arrow and the black knight was all in armor and that arrow went right through his eye hole, right through his brain and they lost their leader. It was awesome. And so then they're chasing these Waldensians up the mountains and the Waldensians knew where they were so they were able to shoot down on these armies that are coming up but there were still too many of them. They were going to overcome them. And so they started praying to God and God brought a fog, a cloud over the side of the mountain so they couldn't see anything in the narrow path and they heard someone coming up, this army that was coming against the Waldensians heard someone coming up behind them so they, st they turned and started fighting those that were coming up behind them but it was their own troops. They all fought each other and killed each other, and the Waldensians lived, and the army was, uh, was smitten on the side of the mountain in Italy. That's the same thing that happened here. God did this exact same thing here. God will fight for His people. Isn't that exciting? God will fight for His people. Now look at what happened. Verse 25. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches and with the dead bodies, both riches with the dead bodies, and precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry. And there were three days in gathering the spoil. It was so much. They are so worried they're going to die, and God gives them wealth. You know what God does? He gives us abundantly beyond more than we could ever ask or think. You know, God gave you salvation. If you've trusted Him for your salvation... He's given you that, but He wants to give you so much more. A happy home, a victorious Christian life, a blessed family. What a wonderful thing that is. Look at verse 26. And on the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Baraka. And that means blessing. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the same place was called the valley of Baraka until this day. Take possession of the promised blessing. And here's what happens. If we'll do this, when we face trouble, if we'll go to the house of God, go to the people of God, call in the name of the Lord, wait on Him, praise Him before He gives the victory, then when we claim the victory, here's what will happen. Look with me at verse 29. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest roundabout. Isn't that awesome? Do you know what happens? If we'll do this, the world will fear the Lord and we will find rest. You know, there are people that are going through trouble in Florida and Texas right now. Do you know the best outcome that could come from that? For God's people to look to him, to receive his help, and then share that with other people so that other people know who our great God is. Amen? What about us? Are you in trouble right now? Are you going through something right now? Let your kids see what you do when you're in trouble. You come to the house of God. You rely on the people of God. And you trust in the Word of God. Let's be those kinds of people. Amen? Let's be those kinds of people. Trust in the Lord and in His Word. He'll help us. I'm not going to ask you to say anything, but how many of you, you've experienced that? You've been in trouble and the Lord's helped you. Would you raise your hands? Young people, look around. I want you to see this. Hold your hands up, folks. These are people the Lord has helped. 
God will help you. It's real, isn't it? Let's all stand together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.